as you know, yeah, we've been going through this letter, Paul's letter to the church at Corinth. Uh, this church was a deeply troubled church. Uh, there were a number of serious issues that Paul had to address in this letter, from members of the church uh, being affected with sexual immorality to other members dragging one another to court, you know, instead of keeping the peace and settling their civil disputes, they just rather sue one another. Um, not great. And there was even immature abuse of the spiritual gifts. They weren't using the gifts of the Spirit properly. So in 1 Corinthians, Paul is able to give instruction, encouragement, and necessary rebuke in order to get this church back on track, that's really his goal, is to, to cover all these areas, cover all the bases, help to get them in a solid place in the Lord once again. So this letter is packed with such rich passages that, that Paul writes, and we get to go through them. We've gone through quite a few already. We're in chapter 7. Wow. Um, some of which we still haven't gone through in our study yet. There's the 1 Corinthians 13, which is all about love, that famous chapter on love. There's 1 Corinthians 15, which is an amazing chapter on resurrection, de describing the resurrection of Christ, as well as the resurrection that Christians will endure, how that, how that relates. And then there's also uh, 1 Corinthians 12 to 14 is all about spiritual gifts. And he's really giving insight and instruction on the proper ways and uses of the gifts of the Spirit. Uh, and then here we are in 1 Corinthians 7, which is all about marriage and relationships. This is our section today. Last week, Rob taught us, uh, he led us through the first half of the chapter, which mostly gives instruction on marriage. That's really what Paul is targeting in the first half of chapter 7. And in our section today, we get to look at the other side of that coin, singleness. So... Can I get a hand up? Who's single in here? Any single people? Yeah, nice. Yeah, awesome. Yeah, so this is geared for all of us because it's God's word, but specifically we're going to talk about singleness. And Paul has a lot to say about it. So before we get uh, get into it and start reading, let's let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just come before you, Lord, and we pray that you would lead us in this time in your word, God. I pray that you would just encourage us and equip us with it, the, teach us to be um, better servants of you as a result, Lord. And uh, I pray that you would speak through me, that this would just be a blessing, and that you'd use these words that you've given to just, um, yeah, do an amazing work, Lord. Amen. All right, so we're going to pick it up in verse 25, chapter 7. It says, Now concerning virgins... I have no commandment from the Lord, yet I give judgment as one whom the Lord in his mercy has made trustworthy. I suppose, therefore, that this is good because of the present distress, that it is good for a man to remain as he is. Are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be loosed. Are you loosed from a wife? Do not seek a wife. But even if you do, even if you do marry, you have not sinned. And if a virgin marries, she has not sinned. Nevertheless, such will have trouble in the flesh, but I would spare you. So he starts off this section with the phrase, now concerning virgins. This is that turning point of this chapter where he shifts from talking about and addressing um, those who are married to those who are unmarried. That's what this word here, virgins, is referring to. It's those who are unmarried and even beyond that, have never been married. So somebody who has been single their whole life and is still in that state of singleness, this is who we're talking about. It could be a man, could be a woman. Um, and oftentimes in chapter 7, as we see this word virgin popping up, it does refer more specifically to women, but here it's a general term describing anyone who has never been married uh, using this word virgin. And they might not all truly really be virgins, you know, that, that might be a given. They're still under this umbrella of virgins if they are unmarried. Um, but as being part of a Christian family, being part, uh, being a Christian, being raised a Christian, uh, 
they definitely should be virgin. The Bible is clear uh, about this, right? That sex is between a man and a woman within the confines of marriage. Um, <clears throat> In the confines of marriage. And the Bible condemns adultery, which is consensual sex between um, a married person and someone other than their spouse. The Bible also condemns fornication, which is sexual immorality in general, sexual immorality of any kind. That's what um, having sex, uh, losing your virginity um, without being married would fall under is that sexual immorality. So that's something we should strive for. For those that are unmarried, have never been married, would fall in that category. Strive for that. Keep that. Seek the Lord in that. Uh, he goes on and he says, I have no commandment from the Lord. Jesus did not give any specific instruction or commands regarding singleness. That's what Paul is saying here. He's like, I have nothing straight up clear um, to relate or, or to kind of pass on to recite to you from what Jesus taught, from what Jesus instructed on the topic of singleness. Um, he's not reciting what Jesus taught about the topic of singleness. Instead, he is clarifying that he's giving judgment as one whom the Lord in his mercy has made trustworthy. So Paul is distinguishing his words from the words of Jesus, but he's also um, implying that his words are words that he's speaking as an apostle of Christ, someone who is sent out, someone who is uh, led of the Lord, um, someone who has this authority to, to really share and to provide this advice. He also says, I suppose, therefore, that this is good because of the present distress. So Paul mentions that this advice that he's about to give on, on singleness, on, on these relationships, is advice that is going to be helpful because of the troubling times that the church is facing, this, this present distress. That's what he's talking about. At this time, the church faced much turmoil. Uh, the times were very turbulent for the Christian just just going through life, being a Christian, this is still new for a lot of people, or new for the world at the time when Paul's writing this, um, but it's changing the world. It's changing the world already, and um, with great things that, that produce change, um, you're going to find your fair share of opposition. And so these times that the Corinthian church and Paul lived through, as we see Paul as an example through the book of Acts, everything that he went through, he underwent. Um, these were turbulent times. These were not the best times for a Christian to live in, as maybe we can relate to to a certain extent, just with everything that's going on in our world today, seeing um, all the different events that are happening. Man, a lot of this stuff that's happening is not in the favor of the church. It's not in the favor of God, but we know that God is still at work, and in the end, he has the victory for sure. Um, but he says... He says this, yeah, uh, that because of the present distress, that it is good for a man to remain as he is. 27 says, verse 27, are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be loosed. Are you loose from a wife? Do not seek a wife. Basically, if you're married, stay married. If you're single, stay single. That's kind of the bottom, the, the main advice that Paul's providing. If you're married, stay married. If you're single, stay single. Why is Paul recommending to stay as you are here? Why is he, why is that really his thing? Just like, yeah, just, just stay as you are. Don't, don't pursue anything else. Well, he's saying this, he's, he's, he's saying this because of the present distress. And this present distress that the church is going through entails persecution as well. Um, persecution was running rampant. It was, it was, it was at the door for many Christians at this time. For a single man to remain single during this time, the burden of, of having a wife or a family is absent, is absent for someone who is single. And they can be more committed to standing firm in the Lord. They're free from family responsibilities. Um, 
and they would not be encumbered. They would not be encumbered like a believer with a family would uh, in being tested in the faith in that way. It would be easier for a virgin or someone who's single to live out their Christian convictions to the fullest extent. And imagine being a Christian during during this time where Paul's detailing here this this present distress time. Um, Living under the threat of persecution, maybe, maybe as a Christian, maybe just as a person in general, you are very strong-willed, and you're confident that if you're placed in a, in a, in a rough situation where somebody wants to rough you up or, or get you to re- try to renounce Christ for whatever reason, uh, if you're pl- God forbid, if, if any of us are placed in that position, maybe you have this idea that you can, you can make the bold declaration, torture me all you want, but I'm never going to renounce Jesus. Um, Hopefully that's our attitude. Hopefully that's our response. Easier said than done, of course. But that would be a very bold move. That would be a very bold thing to say in that situation. But would you be able to do it just as easily if they also threatened your family and your kids? You know, it's one thing just to have yourself placed in that position and react or respond how you would um, in that position. But also if you're bringing your family and your kids in, that's a lot more difficult of a situation. Uh, I, 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 I'm reminded of a show that I love, uh, that I've, I've watched, 24. Anyone seen the show 24 in here? 24? Okay, so Jack Bauer, the main character. I'm gonna go into it, spoilers. Um, the main character, Jack Bauer, is a special agent of the counter-terrorist uh, unit uh, in, in, in the United States. And the show really revolves around him being this, this special agent, this, this guy who's super trained and, and, and knows how to get stuff done. He has to track down these, these people behind these terrorist plots and get to the bottom of their plot and, and eliminate the, their plan altogether. That's kind of what it is. It's a very intense show. Um, but oftentimes, as you watch the show, you see this guy, this character, Jack Bauer, get put in some pretty awful and rough situations, right, where he gets captured, he gets um, tortured, or they're trying to get information out of him or whatever. But then, as you see, you see that Jack Bauer, he's a super tough guy. Like, they're, 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 they, it's a real challenge to try to get what you want to get out of Jack. There's even a part where he gets, he gets um, taken by by the Chinese government and imprisoned for a whole year. And then when the United States makes a deal, brings him back home, um, they, they hear word that, yeah, we tortured him for a whole year, for the whole time when he was in our prison, and we couldn't get a single thing out of him. He didn't say anything the whole time we had him. So it's like, okay, so Jack is a tough guy. But it's not impossible to get, to get the information, to get what you want out of him. Um, the way that the, these bad guys would, um, would be able to bend him and, and get what they need out of him is by threatening the people that he loves most, is by bringing um, his wife in and threatening her or bringing his, his, his daughter or his love interest or, or um, yeah. So it, that's, that's the way that, that they break him. That's the way that they, they bend him. And, 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 but it's a crazy show. Anyway. Um, <laughs> So, but for a Christian with a family, the expected persecution the church would endure would be all the more difficult. Something Paul makes clear is that it is not necessary to change your relationship status for the sake of living out your walk with the Lord. It's quite possible that Paul is writing some of the parts of his letter in response to specific things that members of the Corinthian church have brought up to Paul, specific things that maybe they've written to him, that they've asked him about. Uh, Maybe they remember Paul talking and sharing a bit about his view on singleness and how singleness 
could be used in a better way, in a more mightier way for serving the Lord because you're more free to serve him. Um, maybe there's some Corinthian Christians who are like, oh, Paul, if you believe that, if you said that, then maybe I should, maybe I should leave my family so that I can better serve the Lord. Yeah. My wife and my kids are holding me back from going all out and, and doing what I feel the Lord is calling me to do. So maybe I should like leave them and do that. And Paul's saying, no, absolutely not. That's not what I'm saying. Um, he, he's saying that, yeah, you, you don't have to change your relationship status for the sake of living out your walk with the Lord. For this reason, Paul has, has kind of a what's done is done sort of attitude towards the married, right? Like you're married, and that's a commitment. That's a lifelong commitment. And you can serve the Lord through that as well. At a time of great distress, your family needs you more than ever. Don't, don't ever abandon your wife and children for, for any reason, right? Um, especially not the reasoning of, I need to serve the Lord. That's why I need to, no. Um, the married have a responsibility to their families that they cannot abandon, and the unmarried have the ability to serve the Lord in an unhindered way. So God can use you where you're at, and we should not desire a quick change in our life situation so that we can serve a different way. Um, serve him where you are and let him lead you in your life. Just to repeat the verse, are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be loosed. Are you loose from a wife? Do not seek a wife. He also goes on and says, but even if you do marry, you have not sinned. If a, if, and if a virgin marries, she has not sinned. So Paul's saying that it, it, it isn't wrong to get married or be married. He wants to make that clear. He's not condemning marriage, right? He's saying there's nothing wrong with marriage. We know that Proverbs 18.22 says, He who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. Paul certainly does not forbid marriage. Yet he tells those who will get married, nevertheless, such will have trouble in the flesh, but I would spare you. Paul felt, especially for himself, that the greater advantages were found in being single. Yet he knows that not everyone is called to singleness or can be called to singleness. If everybody was called to singleness, then none of us would be here, right? Like, yeah. <laughs> Uh, each one has his own gift from God. And that reminds me of kind of another part of this chapter where Paul makes his stance on this, uh, on singleness, uh, pretty clear. Look at verse six, just to backtrack a bit. Um, chapter seven, verse six, it says, for I wish that all men were even as myself, but each one has his own gift from God, one in this manner and another in that. But I say to the unmarried and to the widows, it is good for them to remain even as I am. But if they cannot exercise self-control, let them marry, for it is better to marry than to burn with passion. So Paul is basically implying here that singleness is a gift. It's a gift from God, and it can be used in a great, mighty way. But not everybody is called to it, and not everybody you know, can live that out. Um, one of the requirements in order to live out a life of singleness, um, to be uh, called to the celibacy, is being able to exercise self-control. And he actually says, if they cannot exercise self-control, let them marry, for it is better to marry than to burn with passion, right? So it's a specific calling that Paul can speak from experience from, from the, his position in currently that, yeah, I'm single and I'm, I'm living for the Lord. I'm married to the Lord. I'm committed to the Lord. And, it's, it's, and he's recommending it, but he's not saying it's for everybody. So 
a little background. It's believed that Paul was once married before. He he he. It's it's traditionally taught um, that he he was married at one time. Currently, he's not. We don't know what happened to his marriage. If that's true that he was married, but we often relate it back to Acts chapter twenty six, verse ten, where Paul writes um, talking about condemning Christians to death. Um, he said, I cast my vote against them. Uh, in order to cast his vote, he had to be part of some sort of council. So a lot of people believe that he was he achieved member status of the Sanhedrin, which is the Jewish council in Jerusalem that had the authority to really cast votes against people to send them to that, um, that punishment or, or bring punishment on them. Uh, so because he was on the Sanhedrin, it's also believed that the members of the Sanhedrin um, it could have been a requirement for them to be married because with marriage you bring this uh, this this aspect of, of wisdom and, and um, status uh, by being part of that. So if that's true, he could have been married, but we know that he is currently not, and we don't know um, if he was married, what happened. But let's keep reading. So verse 29, it says, But this I say, brethren, the time is short, so that from now on even those who have wives should be as though they had none. Those who weep as though they did not weep. Those who rejoice as though they did not rejoice. Those who buy as though they did not possess. And those who use this world as not misusing it. For the form of this world is passing away. So Paul says, but this I say, brethren, the time is short. He mentions that the time is short. In this section, Paul warns against putting roots down too deep uh, in a world that is passing away. Putting roots down too deep in a world that is passing away. The time is short. Paul is true to the teaching of Jesus that warned all believers of all time, us included right here, um, to be ready and to anticipate his return, Jesus' return. He, re- he says that in Matthew 24, 44, this is Jesus speaking on, at the Olivet Discourse, therefore you also be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. So we ought to ready ourselves and view the time of Christ's return as short. Not just because he can return at any time, but also because it helps us to cultivate a more obedient, on-fire walk with Jesus. This is the right attitude we need to have as Christians. This, there's, there's no time to wait. There's no time to delay. There's no time to procrastinate doing the work of God because there is much work to do. There is, there is much that we have been called to, and we need to be diligent in that as believers, as followers of Christ, as workers of, of him. This and this kind of this time is short kind of attitude does not take away the feelings and the things of this world, but it should give us the right perspective about it. That everything of this world and 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 yeah of this world is gonna pass away one day. It's not eternal. It's not lasting. It's it is vain in the end. And I wonder if reading parts of scripture like this, what our reaction to it is. What what is our reaction? Do we get saddened that? the things that we care most about in life really don't matter in terms of eternity if the things we care most about in life are things of the world that we're, we're holding on to, that we're holding a tight grip to? Or are we encouraged that the things of God are far greater than the things of the world? Because they are. That's, this is that eternal perspective that we need to check ourselves, make sure we have put on in, in, in having our priorities, the things that are eternal instead of material a worldly. So let's keep reading. 1 Corinthians um, 7, look at verse 32. 
says, but I want you to be without care. He who is unmarried for the things, he who is unmarried cares for the things of the Lord, how he may please the Lord. But he who is married cares about the things of the world, how he may please his wife. There is a difference between a wife and a virgin. The unmarried woman cares about the things of the Lord, that she may be holy both in body and in spirit. But she who is married cares about the things of the world, how she may please her husband. And this I say for your own profit, not that I may put a leash on you, but for what is proper and that you may serve the Lord without distraction. So the point that Paul's making here is the unmarried have the opportunity to serve and please God with less distraction than the married would, than the married would have. He says, I want you to be without care. This is, this is Paul's attitude towards marriages, uh, marriage and singleness, right? Um, he's, he's contrasting the cares of both the married and the single here. He says, he who is unmarried cares for the things of the, wor- of the Lord, how he may please the Lord. But he who is married cares about the things of the world, how he may please his wife. Paul contrasts, yeah, the, the, the cares of the married versus the cares of the single. The married can't help but care for their family as they should. That's, that's part of the duty and responsibility of having a family, of being married. Um, that should be a care, naturally. But naturally, on the other side, a single person doesn't have those same cares. They don't have those same responsibilities, those same duties to a family because they are in a state of singleness. When someone doesn't have family responsibilities, they are more free to serve God. And this, this is why Paul was single, right? This is why the Holy Spirit, I believe, Paul, called Paul to singleness because Paul was going to do great things and mighty things for the Lord, for the kingdom of God, and he did. He walked in faith. He was obedient to that. And um, we see, like in the book of Acts, we see his, uh, a lot of his story and the ministry and the, the missionary journeys he was on and the, the conversations he had, the people he touched, the, um, the, the times that he preached the gospel and told people the good news of Jesus Christ. Um, and Paul did this while he was single. He was able to do all these things um, because he was, he was single. He embraced that. I do got to say, though, I feel that the church hasn't done the greatest job with our view on singleness Singleness is a gift. That's what I'm gathering from the way Paul's talking about it here. That's what Paul's saying. Um, singleness is 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 uh, a great state to be in. There's there's nothing wrong with being single. I, I I feel as though sometimes we 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 unnecessarily put this pressure on those who 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 are maybe in the church who we know who are our friends who who are single who are in the state of singleness. And maybe we poke, we poke them, we nudge them, like, "Hey, got your eye on anyone? Like, like, when are you thinking of getting married or whatever? Like, hey, like, we'll we'll find you someone. We'll find you someone one day. Like, like that kind of thing. And by doing that, I feel like we're putting this pressure on the single, saying, like, "Hey, you're incomplete right now, but I'm gonna help you get complete, right? No, you're complete in the Lord, um, where you're at, right? I remember when after high school I went to Bible college, and that's something that we would often say to each other is like, like if we weren't in a relationship, because, you know, relationships blossom at Bible college for some reason. Um, and like, you would go up to your friend and you're like, hey, like, you got your eye on anyone? Like, are, are you trying to pursue anyone? You feel like the Lord is leading you to this individual or whatever? And then they, they would often respond like, no, I feel like, I feel like the God is, I feel like God has called me to a season of singleness. I feel like he's called me to singleness. It's like, 
okay, like you just got out of a relationship two weeks ago, but yeah, it's like, um, um, anyway, yeah. But anyway, the, I think the proper and correct view um, to view single people and, and, and the way single people should carry themselves as believers is that single people should be superpowered in the ministry simply because they don't have these same duties and responsibilities as the married or, or parents who have, who have kids, right? They should be the ones that are uh, willing and ready to take up, um, take up areas of the ministry that, that, that need help, that need service. They're, they should be the ones that are seeking the Lord and like, hey, Lord, it is what it is. I'm single right now. <laughs> You've made me single, and that's okay. Uh, what can I be doing for you during this state of, of singleness? How can I be best serving you? And while we're saying that, my thoughts on singles ministries, because I think it's worth mentioning. Um, I, I have nothing against singles ministries, okay? I want to make that clear. But I do feel like there is a right and wrong way to have or to do a singles ministry. And the main question to figure out is, what's the point? What's the point of your singles ministry? Is it to have a bunch of single people gather together, come together in order to meet one another, hopefully get paired up, and then, yay, I don't have to be part of the singles ministry anymore. Awesome. Yeah, I'm graduating. See ya. Uh, is, it, is it to kind of come together and naturally develops into this kind of like, woe is me, like all this down in the dump, sorrowful attitude because you're single and just be like, oh, maybe there is nobody for me. Mm. That's the wrong way as well. Uh, or is it to have this God-glorifying fellowship with one another in order to build each other up and exhort one another in service to the Lord, in order to better serve Him, right? In order to better seek out areas of ministry where you can use your singleness for the Lord in order that He gets the glory. I feel like that's the right way. I think that's the right way to go about singles ministry. And sorry, if, if you feel like a singles ministry group you're a part of is describing the wrong ways, then pray about it. Um, so I've experienced, even as like the, being the young adult pastor here, I haven't experienced it too much, but once in a while I have people um, come up to me asking for help, you know, they're nudging me on the arm, being like, hey, like, if you see, if you know of anybody who's like single and, you know, looking, like, like send them my way, because I'm looking to find somebody, like, I, I feel like I'm ready, I feel like I'm in that position in my life where I can, I can find somebody and really um, yeah, get married, and that's that's good. And they're kind of like always, they always do it in like a joking way, you know? Like there's always like a bit of like a jokingly tone, but there is some seriousness to it as well. And I definitely feel that there is a bit of pressure in the church to to marry, right? There's a there's this pressure, especially if you're single, seeing uh, all, all these lovely married couples around and even people who maybe you're close to getting married and, and starting their lives together, uh, it does come with its fair share of challenges. Not everybody's called to singleness, again. Um, but I think the church should do a better job at seeing singleness in a better light. In fact, I'd say um, if anybody's going to lead a singles ministry, it should be uh, a God-fearing, God-led married couple to be, um, to kind of bring those people in to help, um, you know, cultivate a proper relationship. So it is not good to desire something you do not have. Another point on, on singleness and, and having this desire to like um, break your state of singleness, find somebody. It is not good to desire something you do not have, and that could be covetousness, right? The 10th commandment. 
Uh, we need to trust God with our relationships and focus on Him. That's really what truly matters. God has it planned out. You might not know who, who you're going to marry. Yes, you can pray for them. Pray for your future spouse. There's nothing wrong with that. Um, but really trust God. Leave it up to Him. Be led of Him. Um, be, yeah, walk in faith, and He'll lead you to the person that He has for you, if that's what He has for you. Uh, I, I even remember with my own relationship how... Rochelle and I got together. We, so back in, it was back in high school when I, when I started like feeling like I had feelings towards her. So I told her, I was like, hey, I like you. And, and that was it, nice. And so we, we got together, we had a little fling because we didn't, we didn't date um, for more than a year. So it was like, a, it was a fling, right? And um, it felt like the door closed and that was that. And I'm like, oh, okay, bummer. Like that sucks, I really like her. But I guess, Lord, God, if, if that's not the one you have for me, then, then, so, then I give it to you, right? Like, I, I'll, I'll leave it up to you, and, and, and I'm open for what you have in store, right? So uh, that was in high school, and then after high school, went to Bible college, which oftentimes you have the nickname Bridal College because people go there. <laughs> Sometimes people go there not for Jesus but to find someone, but, you know. That's not why I went, but I was open to it, um, and I was like, okay, Lord, yeah, like, if, if while I'm here, like, studying your, the word and, and growing in my relationship with you, if you want to, like, um, you know, grow another relationship, that'd be awesome, yeah, so I was like, oh, Lord, is she the one, and wasn't the one, and, like, how about her, Lord, and, like, door closed as well, so I'm like, oh, man, like, this is hopeless, and uh, went through Bible college without any relationship, and, and honestly, that was the best thing. I'm super thankful for that, uh, and my, my relationship in high school with Rochelle was my first ever relationship, and from when it ended, um, I was single for five years, and, and towards the end, I was definitely looking and just didn't work out, so I'm like, oh, Lord, like, Maybe you're just protecting me for something, and that's this is good. I'm I'm okay with that. And I started to embrace that aspect of singleness and and really using it um, to the best ability. And in, in in okay, like hey, I'm single, and maybe maybe I'll be single forever. Maybe maybe not. We'll see. But Lord, it's up to you, and uh, it's your timing. So I'm 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 just gonna do what you've called me to do. And started getting involved in the ministry. Um, and as I've been on staff here for five years now. And um, when Rochelle came back into my life, it was something that I did not expect and I didn't see coming. I was totally caught off guard, which was really cool um, because I wasn't looking for a relationship, but it just happened in such an organic way that she came back into my life and we kind of started to, um, you know, become friends again and like, like reconnect and then um, really sought the Lord and like those feelings started coming back. So I was like, Lord, is this of you? Like, like what's going on? And long story short, we've been married now uh, a year and on the 17th and we have a son, a two and a half month old son. So uh, yeah, and it's so amazing. But, but yeah, anyways, back to the singleness. Singleness is a gift. Just like, just like even my own experience experiencing like the gift of marriage and the gift of having a, a child, those are amazing gifts as well. But singleness is a gift too. And oftentimes it is a real hard challenge to see it as a gift for some people. And I, I, I understand that. Um, but it is a gift. And instead of having this attitude of searching for our future spouse and like wondering where they are, wondering when they're going to come into our life, we need to seek the Lord. If he's called you to singleness, maybe for a season, maybe for life, 
take what Jesus says in Matthew 19, 12. He says, he says, he who is able to accept it, let him accept it, right? Embrace it. Uh, be used by, by the Lord through it. He states that a man, oh, sorry, we're, we're going back to Paul. This isn't Jesus now. Okay. So in this passage here, Paul states that a man who is married cares about how he may please his wife, which is how it should be, right? There is something wrong, very, very wrong, if someone who is married does not care about how they may please their wife. Um, being married does not, being married also, I'll mention this, does not give you an excuse to not participate in the Lord's work, right? I, I feel like even, even in my own experience, maybe you've witnessed it as well, um, two people who are, who are going for it in the ministry, they are serving the Lord, they are um, doing what they, they feel like the Lord has led them to do uh, in the ministry, and you know, they're doing what a single should do, using their time um, to, to serve him and to, to serve the church as well. Um, but seeing two people like that get coupled up and then get married, and then it's like, where did they go? Like, like, how come they stopped serving? Like, come, like, get completely cut themselves off from serving in the ministry as if, like, marriage was their ticket out, which marriage is not your ticket out from serving. Yes, um, I understand you have these commitments, and especially when you have kids, you can't serve in the same capacity. Um, that's why Paul is saying singleness is advantageous because of that. Um, but being married does not give you an excuse to not participate in the Lord's work. Couples who do ministry... Um, together is, is, I think, the way that needs to happen. You, you continue to serve, and the capacity in which you serve can change and develop and, as well, but the point is you continue to serve the Lord with, with the relationship that he's given you. Uh, married couples should dedicate themselves to God's work. The Lord should always be our top priority, even above our marriage and families. So then he continues to say, and this I say for your own profit, not that I may put a leash on you, but for what is proper, and that you may serve the Lord without distraction. Paul's reason for explaining these things is not to forbid marriage, but to put it into eternal perspective. It isn't Paul's desire to be controlling when it comes to your relationship status, to our relationship status. He's advising that when it comes to serving the Lord fully and unhindered, it is best done with singleness, fully and unhindered. The most important thing in life for Paul was not romantic love, it was pleasing God. Should be likewise for us, right? That should be our top priority is, Lord, how can I serve you? How can I please you? How can I honor you in my life today with what you've given me? There is a blessing in singleness. You can better do the work that God has called you to do in life. Paul is providing this advice in a very open way leaving it up to the individual to be led of the Spirit to what they're called to, right? And it's really up to the Spirit. It isn't up to anybody else. Uh, the Catholic Church, uh, in order to be a member of the clergy, you know, you need to live a life of celibacy. You need to be unmarried, right? Uh, as well as even in some Protestant churches. Some Protestant churches will not hire somebody onto their staff, onto their uh, leadership, uh, if they are unmarried. They feel like singles are untrustworthy in the ministry. So um, uh, the mark of trustworthiness is if you are married, if you're in a, uh, a good, solid marriage, right? No, leave it up to the Lord. The Lord decides who should be married, who should be single. Single or married, we can serve, uh, we can serve the Lord fully in our lives. And then he ends that, that verse with this, serve the Lord without distraction. This is the bottom line exhortation that Paul wants to see from believers. 
Whether you're single or married, nothing should come between you and your service to the Lord. This is for our own profit as well. When we serve the Lord, it is such a great blessing for us. It is profitable to us. It is beneficial to us. So with our relationships, we need to use our relationships for good, for the good of God, for good for God, um, and not for bad. You need to, we need to watch that. And things can be used for evil or good, right? The internet could be used for evil, but it could also be used for good, right? Money could be used for evil, but it could also be used for good. Uh, in in everything that we do, we need to do it unto the glory of God. Take what we have, take what we've been giving, figure out, ask the Lord, plead with the Lord, how can I use this for your glory, Lord? Lead me in that. Let's look at verse 36. But if any man thinks he is behaving improperly toward his virgin, if she is past the flower of youth, and thus it must be, let him do what he wishes. He does not, he does not sin. Let them marry. Nevertheless, he who stands steadfast in his heart, having no necessity but has power over his own will, and has so determined in his heart that he will keep his virgin, does well. So then he who gives her in marriage does well, but he who does not give her in marriage does better. So this is describing a father, a father who is um, contemplating whether or not to give his daughter or even son. We can group that in as well, but specifically more in context, he's referring to a daughter, um, in marriage. So a father who's contemplating like, hey, Paul, what should I do? Should I, um, you, you've talked a lot about singleness and the importance of singleness. Um, should I even give my child up for marriage? Or should I get, like restrict them from marriage so that they can better live out a life of service while being single, right? Um, and then he says, it says, if any man thinks he is behaving improperly toward his virgin, that, that phrase behaving improperly has nothing to do with improper moral behavior, but instead Paul is just describing a situation where a father feels that he is denying his daughter or son the right to marry. He's saying like, no, you can't get married because singleness is the way to go. Um, and like there probably comes a point where you're like, oh man, like how long am I going to take this? Like, it's clear that my, my child really wants to get married. They're at the age where they can get married. Um, and, and maybe they're not called to singleness. That's what they're, that's what Paul is addressing here. Uh, in, in this ancient culture, it was the parents' responsibility to arrange the marriage for their child. So given Paul's take on singleness, I'm sure this is an inevitable question that, that would arise that they would ask Paul, should I, should I arrange a marriage for my daughter or son? Paul responds with saying, let him do what he wishes. He does not sin. Let them marry. Paul clarifies that it is not wrong for a father to let their child marry, right? It's not wrong to let your child marry. That's, that's, that's okay. Um, it's, it's not a sin. But I, I will add this as well. Um, fathers who, who have um, children who maybe are getting to be that um, that age of where relationships are becoming a thing, or even if they're um, looking at marriage as uh, an option for life. Um, that's something that, that, that we can gain from this as well, is, is based on what Paul is teaching here, that fathers should really encourage this idea of, 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 of embracing this truth about singleness and, and being single until uh, it is confirmed to the Lord that marriage is for them and that there's somebody in their life to, um, 
to marry, right? But singleness is something that you can be um, brought up in as well. He says, nevertheless, he who stands steadfast in his heart, having no necessity but has power over his own will, and has so determined in his heart that he will keep his virgin, does well. I like this because this is like kind of describing somebody who's strong-willed on their morals and principles regarding uh, virginity and celibacy and, and this. So the, the strong-willed who can remain celibate is very commendable in this verse. And singleness does have its benefits. Paul recommends it, but not only to the individuals, but also to fathers in regards to marrying their daughters and sons. And I like this, this verse as well because we can gain like three characteristics of the strong-willed, the strong-willed person when it comes to refraining from that sexual temptation when it comes to relationships. He says, he who stands steadfast in his heart um, has power over his own will and has so determined, he has this determination in his heart that he will keep his virgin. That's the one that does well. And they says, so then he who gives her in marriage does well, but he who does not give her in marriage does better. For Paul, the choice between getting married or staying single was not the choice between good or bad, but instead it was a choice between better and best. Paul was pretty solid saying, single way when it comes to serving the Lord is best. Um, nothing wrong with being married, but um, being married is a great thing. And that's a great thing. It's a God-honoring thing, but being single, um, you could do more. It's more beneficial. It's best. Uh, lastly, we look at these last two verses. Verse 39. A wife who is bound by the law, bound, a wife is bound by law as long as her husband lives. But if her husband dies, she is at liberty to be married to whom she wishes, only in the Lord. But she is happier if she remains as she is, according to my judgment. And I think I also have the Spirit of God. So he says, if her husband dies, she is at liberty to marry who she wishes. A widow is able to remarry remarry as she wishes, but there is one requirement that Paul gives. He says, only in the Lord. She must marry another believer. If she's somebody who's a Christian whose husband has passed away, that's the only requirement. You can remarry, but make sure you're marrying somebody uh, who is a believer as well, who shares their views and their relationship with Jesus as you do and, um, and is solid in that and can lead in that as well. He also says, she is happier if she remains as she is, according to my judgment. So Paul here is saying he feels that a Christian widow would be better off to remain single. Better off to remain single. It doesn't You don't have to get remarried. He prefers that the widow not remarry without considering if God has actually called her to celibacy. And then Paul mentions this, the, the last thing uh, of the chapter. I think I also have the Spirit of God, which in my opinion is kind of the understatement of the millennia coming from Paul, right? Um, Paul slips this in that he is filled with the Spirit of God, or at least he thinks he is, but of course we know he, he truly is, um, that he is filled with the Spirit of God. He's, he's writing these words. He's writing, um, giving this advice, um, both as somebody who has been made trustworthy of the Lord, uh, verse 25, and somebody who is filled with the Spirit of God, verse 40. Um, so that's what he's sharing. That's what he's coming from. He's able to offer this advice. Somebody who is, who is, who is you know, wise, spiritually wise, being led of the Lord to write these things and can be beneficial advice. He's sharing his wisdom here. And I wanted to connect, just to close here, I wanted to connect these last verses by relating it back to Jesus with another passage, another similar passage uh, in Romans 7. So if you'd like, you can turn there. Romans chapter 7. We're going to start in verse 2. Romans 7, verse 2. 
says, For the woman who has a husband is bound by the law to her husband as long as she lives. But if her husband dies, she is released from the law of her husband. So then, if while her husband lives, she marries another man, she will be called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she is free from the law, from that law, so that she is no adulteress, though she has married another man. Therefore, my brethren, you also have become dead to the law through the body of Christ, that you may be married to another, to him who was raised from the dead, that we should bear fruit to God. For when we were in the flesh, the sinful passions which were aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit to death. But now we have been delivered from the law, having died to what we were held by, so that we should serve in the newness of the spirit and not in the oldness of the letter. So it makes it clear, this is Paul writing as well. Therefore, my brethren, you also have become dead to the law through the body of Christ, that you may be married to another. To who? To him who was raised from the dead, that we should bear fruit to God. And as the church, we're the bride of Christ. We are, we are in this marriage relationship with Christ, our Savior, who has freed us from the law. We once were bound um, to the law, but now we have liberty in Christ. What should we do because of that? Well, verse 6 says we should serve in the newness of spirit of the Spirit and not in the oldness of the letter. Christ has made us free from the law, and we owe it all to him and not to live our lives like we truly believe this, like we truly believe that this is true and that Jesus actually accomplished this for us because he did. And that means serving him with each and every one of our relationships. That's the bottom line. I'm going to call the worship team up, and we're going to end up, but just to take away from, from this passage today, let us, let us have our relationships. Let us make our relationships glorifying to God. And everything we do, do it unto the glory of God. And our relationships definitely fits that as well. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, uh, we just want to pray for our relationships, Lord. And I pray that you would um, lead us in them, guide us in them, and, and, and grow us in them as well. Uh, I pray for um, those who are single in this room, that, that above any of our desires to, um, to find somebody, find that person, to, to be married, uh, I pray that our greatest desire would be to know you more and to seek you and to be led of you and to grow in you, Lord. So I pray um, that you would just bless those, um, uh, those brothers and sisters who are single, Lord, that, that you would fill them with your spirit and give them confidence, give them peace, give them um, boldness in you. Uh, Lord, I pray for those in relationships as well, those who are married and, and anybody here who is, I pray that you would bless our relationships, that, that, that you would be at the center, you would truly be at the center of those relationships and that they would be glorifying to you, Lord. Uh, I pray for any struggles in here, anybody struggling with their singleness or anybody struggling with an issue of their marriage or, or a relationship, Lord. I pray that you would bring healing and um, and repair in that, Lord, that you would just do that work of, um, of revealing yourself in those areas, God. So I pray that you would go before us today and that you would just continue to bless us and help us to apply this in our own lives. In your name we pray. Amen.